you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. So last week, Harley talked about um, how submitting to God as our ultimate authority is kind of step one in this, this process. That's step one. But authority in general can be a very tricky thing. It, it can be very tricky because, you know, there's some questions that come to mind immediately. What if the authority is unfair? What if uh, the authority is just flat? wrong what if the authority is ungodly what then do i have to follow and submit to authority in those instances yeah and it makes me think how could god allow this craziness that has been going on in our country i mean how could god allow this to happen that goes through my mind does god even know who's in charge and what's going on we're going to find out that God has some things to say about this. In fact, he has a lot of things to say about authority. Now, I want you to please remember the disclaimer I just mentioned before we go any further. Keep that in your mind. Now, I want to talk a moment about the political world that Paul lived in when he was ministering and starting churches and trying to build Christian lives as a leader. So Paul's political world kind of looked like this on a macro level. There was the emperor Augustus. Now Paul lived through this, and he lived through that point in time when Augustus was poisoned, and he died. And then followed behind Augustus was Tiberius, and Paul was alive then when Tiberius was smothered, and he died. And behind Tiberius then was Caligula, who was assassinated. Paul lived through that. And then behind that was uh, Claudius. And Claudius was actually poisoned by his wife so that her son, Nero, could become the emperor of Rome. And Nero, well, he's the one who eventually had Paul executed. Now, in all of this political and governmental uncertainty... And surrounded by all of this craziness coming from authority figures and governing authorities, Paul now is inspired by God to write what I'm getting ready to read in, in all of this that's going on. And he writes it to the Christ followers who are in Rome. So they are very close to the craziness going on, and they have lived through this madness, and now Paul summarizes God's view of authority. And here's how he does it in Romans chapter 13. We're going to read two verses, starting with verse 1. He says, everyone, which means no exceptions, every single soul. He said, everyone must submit. Now that means we're going to have to voluntarily place ourselves under the direction of this authority figure. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Now remember all the craziness that's going on around Paul with authorities. For all authority, he says, in light of everything he's lived through, all authority comes from God. Interesting. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So it's really it's a direct appointment, a direct appointment by God, which, which means, uh, in a nutshell, that, that Paul is saying if we oppose God's delegated authority, then we are actually opposing God himself. 
That's, that's pretty heavy. That's, that's a big statement. If we oppose the, uh, the delegated authority that God has put in place, then we're actually opposing God himself. Now, again, like Harley just said, many of the leaders that Paul was referring to as he is writing this letter to the Christ followers in Rome and some of the other Christ followers that uh, letters that we're going yeah. to go he over this morning. He knew that this would be passed around he to. He knows and, yeah. many of these, these, uh, these leaders that Paul is talking about. He knows that when the Christ follower reads this letter, they're going to think, What? Are you, Paul, are you kidding me? Do you know what these cats are doing? He knows that these leaders are ungodly to their core. He knows that. So, that brings us to this very, very important point. If we're going to follow God's instruction as it pertains to submitting to authority, then we've got to do something. We have to be able to see beyond the leader's personality we like it if we don't like it we have to be able to see beyond the leaders behavior their personal behavior in the way they they operate and instead we have to choose in, instead to honor that position that position of authority that they have been given delegated by God and here in the United States here in America Christians in America we've got a real problem with that I mean really and truly it is almost built in our DNA as an as, as an American to not only not want to submit to authority but actually to question authority it's kind of in our DNA you know it's just kind of the way this whole thing in some ways started so as as America as Christians in America we've got a real problem with submitting to authority. And, and here we're going to see here over the course of the next few minutes, we're going to see that Paul is actually going to take it beyond national leaders. He's going to take it beyond, in his case, the emperor. And he's going to, um, he, he's actually talking about all authority as it works its way all the way down into the local communities. In fact, he talks about in, in verse 2 of the same uh, letter that, that Harley started with, verse 2, so anyone... Again, there's that anyone, everyone. This applies to all of us. Anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. So Paul is saying that all authority is from God. But what Paul is not saying, because it wouldn't have been true then, and it's not true now. Paul is not saying that all authority is godly. Right. So to kind of help us today, let's look back um, and let's try to find a worst case scenario, uh, one of them anyway, there's many, in scripture and maybe we can learn some things from that to apply to our lives today. So when we kind of think of worst case in the uh, 20th century, we kind of think about maybe Hitler comes to mind. And so if Hitler is one of our worst case scenarios in our history, then let's look in Scripture for kind of a Hitler type that, and let's see what God has to say about that and how God deals with that. So if we start in Genesis, it doesn't take us long to, to work our way through Genesis and land in the book of Exodus, and there we run across this ruler that he's called Pharaoh, and he's the ruler in Egypt. And he definitely falls into this category of, of uh, a Hitler type, 
ruler. Under the leadership of this Pharaoh and his government, Israel is treated brutally. Uh, they're treated as slaves. They are slaves. They, uh, this leader starves them at times physically. He uh, physically abuses them. He mentally abuses them. He murdered thousands of them in cold blood. So this Pharaoh has no regard for human life, and he has no regard for God. So here's a question that I think would be a natural question for us. From where did this Pharaoh dude get his authority? Where did it come from? And it's the very authority that he used to abuse the Israelites. And here's the answer. We're going to find it in that book of Exodus. And God sends a message to Pharaoh. And here's what he has to say. Exodus chapter 9 verse 16. God's message to Pharaoh, he says, But I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So we need to be very, very clear. This is a tough one to hear. But it was God, not the evil one, who placed Pharaoh in this position of power. Okay, so here's, here's the question then. That being said, how in the world does Israel find themselves in this position? How does God's chosen people, the entire Old Covenant, it's all about Israel. Everything revolves around these people and how it's just God's story of Israel. How in the world do they find themselves trapped under this wicked leader. How does it happen? So let's trace it back. Let's look at it from a historical timeline. Go all the way back to Adam. And then if you go from Adam and you take ten generations from Adam, you fall on a man by the name of Noah. He built a boat, right? Everybody's heard of Noah. And then if you go from Noah and you travel another ten generations, you end up at a man by the name of Abraham. So if you go from Adam to Abraham, we've now traveled basically 20 generations, according to the book of Exodus. And with Abraham, at just the right time, at the right moment, God's going to appear to Abraham when he is 75 years old. I, I, that has always been interesting to me, how in my mind it would have happened earlier than that, but Abraham was actually a very old uh, an old individual, an old man, when, when all of this takes place, he's 75 years old, and God tells Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of your family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something with your family. I'm going to make a great nation out of it. And God is going to uh, initiate, establish a covenant between himself and Abraham. It's actually, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 12. You can jump in there, and you can see that covenant. And as part of that covenant... God is going to tell Abraham something very interesting. He's going to say something very interesting about this great nation that he's going to make out of Abraham's family. And we find it in Genesis chapter 15. So Genesis chapter 12 is when we are introduced to Abraham. And now we jump to Genesis chapter 15 verse 13. And this is what God says to him. He says, Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. So that doesn't sound all that great. And then he goes on. It gets better. You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed, afflicted, mistreated, abused, as slaves for 400 years. So Abraham, you know, he's got to be sitting there like, okay, 
We're going to have this great nation. The whole world's going to be blessed as a result of my family. And you're telling me that I'm going to, my family's going to be a strangers in a strange land, oppressed and slaves for 400 years. This is a terrible, horrible plan that we are putting together here. You know, I mean, that's, at least that's what's going through my mind. So now let's go ahead, let's, let's go forward and let's see how um, Israel is going to land in this foreign country and become a great nation. How does it happen where they are going to be oppressed and enslaved for 400 years? Yeah. My turn. Yeah. It, <laughs> here's how, how, here's how it begins. <laughs> here's how it starts. <laughs> so God speaks to Abraham. And Abraham at that time had no children. He finally has one child. His name is Isaac. And from Isaac comes, uh, he has two children, Esau and Jacob. They're twins. And God is going to kind of send this through the line of Jacob. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. That's where that comes in, the nation of Israel. It's from Jacob. He changes his name to Israel. And Jacob, Israel, has 12 sons. The 11th son, his name is Joseph. You may have heard uh, the coat of many colors, Joseph, that's him. So uh, Joseph gives God some dreams and shows that, that Joseph one day is going to be elevated in position. Well, his brothers get wind of this. They get really upset because he's way down number 11, and there's uh, uh, 10 other guys in front of him that should be more important, and they, they want to kill him. I can relate. Yeah, <laughs> you can? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, you can? Um, that was sincere, by the way. And so, uh, so they want to kill Joseph, but instead of killing him, they finally uh, decide just to sell him into slavery, hoping to never, ever, ever see him again, just do away with their problem that way. That's what they do. They sell him, and he, Joseph, ends up in this land, Egypt. There's our first connection. Now, Joseph is a slave for 10 years in Egypt, and then something bad happens. He's accused of a crime he did not commit. He's thrown into prison. It's really a dungeon, is set free. And one guy whose dream was interpreted, uh, that Joseph interpreted, is set free. And before he leaves, Joseph says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't forget about me here, okay? Come and get me out. Don't forget about me. Well, the guy does forget about him. Um, on purpose, probably afraid to go do anything, but he does forget until years later, the Pharaoh has a dream that needs to be interpreted. The guy's like, I, I think I know the guy that can do it. So he's going to get some brownie points, goes to get Joseph, you better bail me out here. And in fact, Joseph does interpret those dreams for the Pharaoh, the big guy on campus. He does interpret the dreams. Pharaoh then is so impressed because he interprets them and says, hey, listen, a famine's coming. Everybody's going to starve unless you do this. And he tells the Pharaoh what should be done. Pharaoh's like, what? And he's like, yes, you are now going to be second in command. And Joseph is like, what? <laughs> he's like, all right, from slave to second in command of the ruling country of the world at that time, yes. That's what happens. Joseph becomes second in command. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, Joseph's brothers and his family, they're about to starve because it is famine time and they are out of food. So they send some of the brothers off to Egypt to go get some food. And Joseph 
seized them, and to make a very long story short, Joseph confronts them. He confronts his brothers who sold him into slavery, but as he confronts them, we learn something very important that applies to what we're talking about today. Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, Joseph confronts his brothers and says this. He says to them, uh, don't, don't be upset, fellas. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here. Wait a minute, we thought it was the brothers who sent him. And Joseph is saying, no, no, not really. It was God. But we think, oh my goodness, God. How could a loving God put Joseph through so much pain when Joseph was actually blameless? How could God do that? That's what we think. That was impressive. I mean, you just like hammered through several hundred years of Israeli history. I mean, that was great. Thank you, sir. So anyway, uh, <laughs> right after that, so right after uh, what Harley was just talking about, Joseph is going to send his brothers home, and he's going to say, okay, go home. I want you to get dad. I want you to get the family. I want you to get the, 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 everybody. Get the, get the donkeys. Get the mules. Get the sheep. Get, don't forget the moped. Get my stuff. You know, get everything that was mine that you left, and I want you to come back to Egypt, bring it all back to Egypt, and y'all just live here, move here. Because remember, like what Harley said, he's second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. So kind of, uh, if, if you're like me, and you come from a Disney family at all, then this is where your mind goes. If you know the story, Aladdin, the movie Aladdin, you know, the bad guy, the character Jafar, right? What was he? He was the Grand Vizier, number two guy. That was Joseph. He was number two. I had to, Beth needed that connection. She, she's sure, there, just so. drew her in. She just pulled her out there. There she is. There she is. She poked her head around the corner. <laughs> but that's basically what Joseph was. He was that number two guy in Egypt. And he says, come on, live here. It's going to be great. I'm kind of running this thing. Right, And that's exactly what they do. That's how Abraham's descendants, Jacob's descendants, Israel's descendants end up in Egypt. That's how it happens. Which, by the way, if you are looking for some interesting uh, Bible study on your own time, uh, there's, that's, that's a really cool time period to study because there's a lot of interesting history about who was in charge of Egypt at the time and how it all worked together, and it's interesting stuff. So if you're looking for something to study, that would be a good thing to, uh, to jump into. But that's how Israel ends up in Egypt. That's how it happened. And then they begin to multiply year after year after year to the point where there are hundreds of thousands in this family, maybe as many as a million. This family grows exponentially and becomes exactly what God told Abraham it would become a nation while it is in Egypt. So how could God put them into this position where they would eventually have to endure the Hitler of their day, this, this Pharaoh that we know the story, or many of us probably know the story so well. How could God put them into that position and not only allow it to happen, but actually be a part of planning it out? I mean, it was part of the plan. How could he do that? And it begs the question, does that mean that in some cases, good people can be mistreated by authority, and it not be the plan of the evil one. Can that be 
the case? Is it a possibility? Is it plausible? And apparently, at least according in this example, apparently yes. This was an example where it was all part of God's plan, and they suffered as a result of it. So, again, another question. Are you telling me that this mistreatment can actually sometimes sometimes come from God's greater plan? And I think we would have to say, yes, it does. And Joseph even reveals that um, it was part of God's plan in Genesis chapter 45, verses 7 and 8. This is, this is what um, Joseph said. We've already read some of that. God has sent me ahead of you, speaking to his brothers. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. God has sent me ahead of you. Why? You, he, they, they're probably saying, why? Why do he do that? Well, very simply, to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Because if he hadn't done this and I was not in this position, y'all would be dead. And this nation would never get off the ground. So verse, according to verse 8, so it was God who sent me here, not you, even though you think it was you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. The great pain was part of a great deliverance. Joseph saying, you didn't send me to Egypt. God did. God wanted me under Pharaoh. He planned it out from the very beginning. Because that's actually, if you'll remember, exactly what God told Abraham he was going to do. And that kind of leads us to a, a big point. And if you have attended a series here at Stuttgart Harvest Church, you've probably heard us make this statement in one shape, form, or fashion or another. And it's this. God's priority is not our comfort and it's not our enjoyment. It's actually our redemption. God's priority, God's plan for my life is not focused on my comfort and it's not focused on my enjoyment. It's actually focused on my part that I can play in his greater story, his greater plan that wraps around redemption. So if we, we come from this moment that we're in right now, things are good. I mean, right now things are great. Joseph's running the show. The family's doing great. They are living the life. They are um, experiencing, again, it's a, a, a really cool study there. I would encourage you in your own personal time, really cool study. But then if we flash forward, so if we jump ahead 400 years, we find now that Israel, the nation of Israel, this maybe up to 1 million people is now a nation of slaves. And God's going to send a message to this Pharaoh, this Hitler-like Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. And this is what he says. God says to Pharaoh in verse 16, But I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So before this happened, before this Pharaoh, only Abraham's descendants knew God, really. But after this, after this happened in Egypt, well, most of the known world at that time then had heard of God because of this. Pharaoh's wicked reign, his Hitler-like reign, did not catch God off guard because God actually, according to Scripture, arranged it. Now, I think that we can take that historical moment and how God operated, and we can even apply that to, to leadership throughout history. And we see the evilness of leaders throughout history, and we say, but why? Why, God? What good could come from that horrible season of history? 
And sometimes our only answer, and it's an, a legitimate answer, not a cop-out, our only answer at times is Romans 9.18, which says, so you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others. So they refuse to listen. And sometimes the only answer we find a couple chapters later in chapter 11, verse 33 and 34, Paul says, oh, how great are God's riches. And he goes on and says, how great is God's wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts and who knows enough among us to give him advice. But you know what? In this case, the story we just talked about, have just read about, we don't have to wonder why God had that Hitler-type person in authority because God actually showed us and he gave us his reasons behind this wicked Pharaoh. And he gave us those reasons, perhaps, I don't know, but perhaps to give us a, a, a pattern for maybe how things happen sometimes here today. Maybe he gave us that to give us a better understanding so that we might be able to find it in our hearts to trust God and his wisdom and his goodness in future and current uncertain times in our lives. I think we can definitively say this, that God turns all suffering of his followers toward his redemptive purposes. So we may be asking the question, can we influence our leaders? Can we influence our leaders? And, and yes, we can. We can influence our leaders. In fact, we're told how to influence our leaders uh, Paul tells us in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells us that we can influence our leaders by praying for them. But we are still required, as followers of Christ, we're still required to submit to our leaders. And you say, okay, wait a second, so what you're talking about, that was old, that was, um, was 4,000 years ago. Okay, that, that, that doesn't apply. Well, let's that's old covenant. We don't really, we don't, we don't fall under that as much. So let's jump into the New Covenant. Let's jump into really these letters that are being written. Who's running the show at that time? So there are a lot of wicked authorities while the New Covenant letters are being written. I mean, we can take it all the way from uh, when uh, pro probably the, uh, the James was probably the first one that was written. And uh, in, in all likelihood, either Caligula was on the throne or possibly Claudius. And if you don't know, if you know your history, you know Caligula was a really bad dude. Like really, really bad. But the majority, a lot of them was written when Nero was on the throne. But even if we take it on a more local level, and we look, one of the authorities when much of the, new, of the letters in the New Covenant is written, uh, the king of the Jews at that time was a man by the name of Herod Agrippa I. And Herod, Herod Agrippa I, he was an interesting person, which again, a really cool study if you wanted to do that. But he's actually the king that has James, the disciple James, the brother of John, has him murdered. He has him killed. 
And, and Peter knew that. Peter was well aware of that when he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. He said, show proper respect to everyone. Love the community of believers. Have respect for God and honor the king. Peter was well aware of the king that he was telling these people to honor. Herod Agrippa I, the guy that killed his buddy. And he, they, they were buddies. And they were buddies. Yeah. They were tight. Very close. And yet, he was telling Christ's followers, you've got to submit to that guy. You've got to honor that guy. Honor the king. Now, that phrase, that terminology doesn't hit as close to home for us today uh, because of just the, the style of government, the style, the, the system that we live under. But we can connect that in any way. In fact, honor the king, we can connect that in any way from the perspective of just honor authority. Any authority, as we've already shown, is put into that position by God. Peter knew exactly what Herod Agrippa I had done to his very dear friend. And yet, he says that it's God's will for Christ's followers specifically to honor the king. Now, God's actually going to take care of the judgment of that king. So we're just to submit and to honor. God takes care of everything else in God's timing. Because um, according to the writer of the book of Acts, probably Luke, the Greek physician Luke, he tells us in Acts chapter 12, verse 21, he tells us about the end of Herod Agrippa I. This is what he says. He says, So on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a public address to them. So uh, it was a big kind of a public proclamation, and he was uh, giving this speech, if you will. Verse 22, The assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a God and not of a man. So they were kind of worshiping Herod. They were saying, Hey, this is a God. And Herod didn't do anything to stop it. He didn't, you know, turn that, uh, that phrasing back. And so this is what happened, according to verse 23, according to Luke. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God, and he became infected with worms. Nice. And died. And that's not the only account of that, by the way. I mean, you can, the, the, the Jewish historian Josephus says the same thing. says that uh, Herod Agrippa got a horrible stomach malady. And five days after this event, he's dead. God took care of that. God took care of the judgment. Which, by the way, another thing, if you want to do some studying, uh, research the way his grandfather, Herod the Great, the guy that was alive when Jesus was born, research the way he died. <laughs> it's really good. It's gnarly. But anyway, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. We are commanded to pray for those who are in authority. We're commanded to honor. We're commanded to submit even to bad leadership, not to rise up and rebel. But, and this is important, because there's a note to be taken out of this. God does free us as followers of Christ. He does free us not to submit if they are trying to make us sin. Do something that is against God's truth. You know, that's, and that's a great point, I think, because that phrasing, um, when the authority is trying to make us sin, but we have to define what that means. What is sin? Anything against God's truth. We're allowed to not submit in that instance, but if basically short of that, we're supposed to submit. We're called to submit. In fact, According to Peter, we are called to live so honorably that people are going to have to make up something to accuse us. This is what 
Peter said in his letter to Christ followers. 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. So he's telling Christ followers, be real careful the way you act and the way you react when you are around, especially those who have yet to become a part of this, what they would have called the way, the, uh, these Christ followers. Be real careful with the way you act around your neighbors. Be careful the way you act at the ball field. Just saying. <laughs> you know, been there, right? Be careful when the umpire doesn't give you the right call. That you think is the right call. Be careful. Then he goes on. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You know, but that, that's not the way that we think in America. Who knew? We think. Including me. Including, including we this struggle guy right with here. This too, Absolutely. Me yeah. too. We think that disobeying is our ally and our right and we think that submission to authority is our enemy, but not according to God. I want you to listen to the message. We don't often use the paraphrase from here anyway, um, but here's a paraphrase of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And I, I just want to read this because this makes it so clear. Verse 5 says, Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Verse 6. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. And listen to this in verse 7. And work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Peter's going to go on. He's going to take this even further, talking about submitting to the king, submitting to authority that God has placed in our lives. Uh, he goes on, he says, For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, not some, not most, all human authority, whether the king as head of state or, and this is where it gets on down to that local level, or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. From the president all the way down to the local authorities. All the way down to the mayor, the city council, the fire chief. Hey, hey he's here. <laughs> but seriously, he's in a position of authority. And if he tells me I can't burn those sticks in my front yard that have been sitting there for two months, then I can't burn them. That gummit. Because he's in a position of authority, and that's okay. He hasn't done that, but I'm just using that as an example. But he has been placed into that position of authority. Guess what? It also includes the code inspector, police officers, even the animal control officer. All authority has been placed into that position by God. And he doesn't give us any two ways about it. We're supposed to submit to it. Now, when we think about the type of leaders, the kind of leaders uh, that Paul is talking about, the kind of leaders uh, that Peter is talking about, we're talking about it. They, they were living under evil, cruel leadership. When we think that, take that into consideration, then we can really, I think, understand the concept that Peter's trying to teach us, that we submit to a position rather than to an individual. 
And Peter keeps on going. He, he, he continues on because he wants to make it crystal clear. And then we want to make it crystal clear as well. So we're going to read verse 17 again. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the community of believers. Have respect. Um, honor the king. That's a big one. It's a tough one. You know, we're talking about, and I believe the writers were talking about, honoring that position of authority. Not disrespecting. Not name-calling. Not irreverent humor okay, toward... that one was me. I got that one. You hit me on that one. <laughs> Today, it seems that we have lost respect and either... Either we don't know these commands in the New Covenant or we're just simply ignoring them. Many Christians say horrible things about God-planted authority and then we do that and we think it's okay because we're saying it in the name of Christianity, in the name of what we think is right. But according to God, it is a sin to say those things and act that way. God's kingdom and our living in that kingdom of God is not democratic. And to slander, to slander and talk in these ways against governmental authority and their appointed authority is never an act of godliness. And God deals seriously with those who choose to do that. All we have to do is look in our own lifetime at how the Christian right talked about Clinton and talked about Obama. We just have to look at that. And I know that hurts to hear that. There's some of that tension. There's some of that tension. And all we have to do is look now at the Christian left and how they have treated Bush and how they are now treating Trump. And you might say, but listen... The Constitution gives me the freedom of speech. And I can say what I want about that authority. And I'll say, yes, you, you do have freedom of speech in America. It is true. But I'm going to say this, that God's command supersedes that in the Constitution. We have a higher law than the Constitution if you're a follower of Jesus. Well, I mean, you, you a great example is the example of Billy Graham. Most everybody knows who Billy Graham is. Billy Graham uh, ministered in one fashion or another to presidents all up for a very long time, uh, decades back into the uh, into the fifties, really. And so, uh, Billy Graham, uh, he he never did anything short of speaking truth to the presidents that he was connected to. He spoke God's truth. He spoke God's law. He spoke in God's absolutes. He spoke God's truth, but he never disrespected them or the office. And he did the same for all authority. And I, I'm pretty sure, I feel confident that Billy Graham, would, he understood what Paul is trying to teach or is teaching, and he remembered that the authorities. Uh, that, that were around Paul at remembering that they were largely corrupt. And so, again, this is what Paul had to say about it. Again, in Romans chapter 13, remembering what Harley said, this is Paul's letter to the Christ followers in Rome. 
and it was probably written around um, 58 AD, somewhere in there, and the emperor of Rome at that time when Paul wrote this was Nero. Most of us know who Nero is. He, he persecuted Christians. And yet Paul said this to the Christ followers living in Rome. He said, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. He's saying as an authority, they're serving God even if they're doing it in a wicked way because they were put into that position. I don't understand it. But one day they're going to have to give an account to God. And they'll have to give an account for the way that they use their authority here on earth. That's part of God's plan. That is God's plan. And then if we go on continuing with what Paul said in his letter to the church in Rome, verse 5, he says, Therefore it is necessary... To submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. And then Paul ends with this. Because apparently, what we're talking about this morning and what Paul was writing about to the church, uh, to the Christ followers in Rome, apparently it was pretty, pretty significant. God must take um, submitting and respecting governing authorities. He must take it pretty serious. Because this is what Paul continued on in verse uh, chapter 13 of his letter to the church in Rome. He says... Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. That hurt. <laughs> Pay your taxes, for government workers need to be paid. I was a government worker for a while. I, I, I get that, right? <laughs> Pay your taxes, for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. There are so many examples of what we're talking about in the New Covenant. From the president, regardless of which side of the aisle that person is on, left or right. Regardless of which color tie they wear, red or blue. From the president all the way to the city code uh, enforcement officer, we are to respect and to honor those that God has placed in authority. Okay, good news. Take a breath. Take a breath. <laughs> We're almost done. Take, breathe in a deep breath right now and let it out. We are almost done. Today comes down to this. I, I just want to remind you, this topic was not planned recently. It was planned much earlier in 2019. Long before we knew anything that would transpire on May 25th and, and the weeks to follow that, long before this was already planned, the topic. So if we would today just take that deep breath regardless of the tension that may have happened at times during this discussion, if we could just simply take God's view of authority into our lives, if we do that, we will be a greater witness to our neighbors around us, to our nation, and you know what? We will be a greater witness to the world. 
So now for just a moment, I, I, I want to go backwards. Let's go back to Egypt for just a moment. Not to the Pharaoh's Egypt. Nope. I want to go to my friend's Egypt. My friend is a native Egyptian and he still lives there. He lives there right now. He's a Muslim. And on June the 3rd, on Facebook, he sends me a private message. Smack in the middle. June 3rd. Smack in the middle of all of our nation's craziness. And our responses to the craziness. I get this Facebook message from my friend who's an Egyptian. And it was obvious. I'm not going to read the message to you. But I just want to tell you. It was obvious that he was watching what is happening in our nation. And he's watching it with interest. And he is watching it specifically to see how people who claim to be followers of Jesus, how they are responding to authority. My friends, the world has been watching, and they are watching still. And we simply end with this. May we learn to honor, revere, respect, to treat with humble submission those who are in authority. And in doing so, we honor our Heavenly Father. When we honor those who are in authority, we show honor to God. And when we dishonor those we dishonor God. If we have a problem with what we've talked about today, you, you, you don't or we don't, we don't have a problem with Harley. Clearly, according to Scripture, we have a problem with God. This is not what Harley thinks about authority. I'm struggling too. We just simply need to read God's words, especially in the New Covenant. And we need to take God's view of authority and place that into our lives. And if you're doing the Stuttgart Harvest Church 6060 with us, which means you're setting a, a silent reminder, a vibration tone on your phone or your watch to go off once an hour, during your awake part of your day, every day for 60 days. We're just, we're over 30 days in now. We're about, you know, 37-ish days in, maybe more. I can't remember. But if you're doing that with us, or if you want to start doing that with us, then here's what I'm asking you to do. When that alarm reminder, that silent reminder, so you're not interrupting people around you, when that goes off this week, would you simply pause and in your heart ask God this question, God, in this moment right now, am I honoring and submitting to the authority, God, that you have placed in my life? And now I'm going to ask you, let's end this teaching 
with a song, two songs actually, but this first song I'm asking as you sing this with us, will you allow this to be our prayer as we say, God, we so desperately want your words to speak life to us. Will you pray with us as we sing these words?